0: Good to see you all here this morning. And that's one of our campuses over in Appleton, Stevens Point. Good morning to all you guys. We are studying the uh, book of Matthew. We are in chapter 20. And we've been stuck on three verses, 26, 27, and 28. And uh, I'm going to stick on them just for a little bit more. But fear not, I will move on uh, later in the message. But this is uh, the three Uh, scriptures or verses where jesus starts talking about the importance of being a servant and we've been talking about servanthood you say well why why three sundays in a row they tell us that you got to say something five to seven times before most people realize you said it once it's just the reality of it so we aren't going to do it seven times off of this one but we are going to in in the upcoming verses uh, we're going to look at more of this idea of being a servant which really has to be uh, do with being told <laughs> what to do. A servant is told what to do. A slave is told what to do. Jesus is going to use the analogy of sons being told what to do, employees being told what to do, servants being ready, knowing what they have to do. Uh, all of this is very important. Jesus said in verse 26, "Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant." And you need to underline the word your in your head because it's not about being God's servant. Now, there's a very arrogant spiritual counter to the idea of being a servant in the church where people will say, well, I serve the Lord. I'm a servant of God. I don't serve men. Well, the Bible talks about you need to serve people. Jesus came to serve people. He honored God as well as Father. Uh, But he served people. He says, goes on and says, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. As if servant isn't bad enough, now you're demoted to a slave. And then just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve again, he came to serve people and to give his life a ransom for many. He was a servant of God, but he served people and was teaching us to serve people. If you don't have in your head the concept of serving people, uh, then uh, you're delusional in thinking that you're truly serving God. John has a great analogy. Uh, the Apostle John, he says, you, you know, you can't really love God if you don't love people. He said, if you don't love people you can see, you cannot love God whom you cannot see. Uh, this idea that, oh, I love Jesus, I just can't stand people is crazy. You can't really love God. I love Jesus, I just hate my ex-husband. no. You're not really loving God. You don't know my ex-husband. I know. It doesn't matter. You got to love everybody. You got to let it go. You can't hate people and whatever and think you're truly loving God. I know a lot of people don't like it, but it's just the truth. The same comes with servants. Don't tell me you're a servant of the Lord, but you don't listen to anybody. You're not going to listen to the pastor. I'm not going to listen to that pastor. I'm not going to listen to that person over this department. I'm not going to listen to anybody. I serve God. You're just an arrogant little snot. All right, You need to learn to serve. We need the idea of serving. And I'm trying to stress this so much. A servant doesn't just do what they want to do. Servant is not in the church. Our goal isn't to find some place where you love it so much that you just get all your validation from being in that particular role in the church. That's not being a servant. You're still just being narcissistic. Serving is I will do whatever I'm asked to do because that's what servants do. This isn't about you. This is about you serving other people. And sadly, a lot of us don't have that. I am guilty of not teaching it as I should. Uh, As I think back over the last six years of the people who have come and gone in the church. And every church has people come and go. and, uh, and, And not always for bad reasons. Sometimes somebody will leave a church and come to another church because they they're dying spiritually at the church where they're at uh, a lot of you came here as a result of that we're glad to have you if you ever feel that's happening to you here I understand you need to go somewhere where you can grow in your faith but that's not most people most people get mad because something changes or they're asked to do something they don't want to do or you put a new person in charge of something they don't like that person ah, 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 and they get mad and they get ticked off and they leave uh, But this is not being a servant. A servant serves. That's why they're called servants. Okay? And again, doesn't get to pick and choose what they get to do. Now, here, at least, you get to pick and choose. (laughs) We might mess with it and change it a little bit. But, uh, you know, we have our ministry fair coming up in a few weeks. It's going to be an opportunity for you and all the different campuses. There are going to be tables set up, and you're going to see opportunities to serve. You need to stop by one of those places and serve. Do something. I don't want to do it. That's the point. Okay? We're not asking for just stuff you want to do. Even though, you know, you get to find whatever little area you want to get involved in. At some point, if you're going to succeed in life, you have to learn to do things you don't want to do. This is true of any area. Much less spiritually. You know, and you need to teach your kids this. Seriously. You know what the number one reason a kid doesn't want to do something? I don't feel like it. Clean your room. I don't feel like it. Mow the lawn. I don't feel like it. Every time your kid tells you they don't feel like it, you ought to bust out laughing. Go, ha, ha, ha. Now go do it. All right? You need to teach them. They need to do what you ask them to do. It doesn't matter if you feel. I'm serious. You want your kid to fail in life. Back off when they don't feel like doing something. You're setting them up for failure. Because I promise you, at some point, if you're going to succeed in life, you're going to be put in a situation where you're going to have to do stuff you don't want to do. Anybody here have a job? Right, some idiot tells you, you got to do it, man. It's just life. All right? You don't learn to do what you don't want to do. Your life will stink. I know you kids will think that your parents hate you. You hate me. You hate me. You evil. Ah! Because they're making you do something they want to do. I promise you, if they let you just do what you want to do, now they're hating you. And that's what the Bible teaches. All right? You know they love you when they make you do stuff you don't want to do. You think it's hate? It's called love. Trying to teach you to grow up and be responsible. Life is not about doing what you want to do. This is in any area of life, but particularly when it comes to the Christian community. We need to learn to serve. It's easy to just do stuff you want to do and people that you like and agree with, but what credit is that? Jesus said, Thieves love thieves. Drunkards love drunkards. You know, you could be in the worst gang in America. and They all get along great. <laughs> as long as you're in the gang. <laughs> Tend to kill people that's not in the gang. But, you know, they all love each other. Man, they all got a great, they got a code, man. They won't rat on each other. Man, there's great honor among thieves, believe it or not. You know, anybody can do that, Jesus. That's no credit. What's a credit to you is when you do stuff you don't want to do. When you love people that are unlovable. When you respect people you don't like, oh, I don't like the way they did that. Well, that's not love, and it's certainly not being a servant. We need to serve, do what we're called to do, and ask to do. Uh, So we've had a lot of struggles in that area, but we do have wonderful people in church who are great servants. Oftentimes we don't acknowledge them. Uh, They are they will do whatever you ask them to do. I was talking about Kelly. I don't hope I didn't embarrass you, but in the first service Kelly's is a a Classic example Kelly is one of the most talented Gifted guitar players if not the most talented and gifted guitar player in our entire organization any campus Uh, He's also a great singer. He's also uh, very gifted uh, in running sound systems and all the stuff like that You can ask Kelly to do anything. He'll do it Kelly play guitar this week. Yeah, Kelly, I want you to sing the song. Cool. Kelly, I want you to run the sound system. Okay. He just does it. If we don't ask him to sing, he would not go, they don't ask me to sing here anymore. <laughs> they don't let me play the guitar here anymore. Ah! You don't hear any of that nonsense. You hear that from narcissists. <laughs> Selfish little snots. It's all about them. And then they point at the pastor. And everybody says, recognize my gift. Man, if that's the way you think, this is not the place for you. You need to learn. Actually, no. <laughs> The kingdom of God's not the place for you if you think like that. There's no place you can hide from that. You need to learn to serve. Do what people ask you to do. Poor Kelly, we stick him back there most of the time. It's the most abused position in the church. (laughs) Nobody gets more gruff than the guy running sound. Everybody's giving him grief. He's telling him, it's too loud, too quiet. Can't hear this, can't hear that. Man, I give him, grief. everybody gives him grief. That's the job, you know? And uh, he just does it. Uh, Now, the reason he does this is because he's a professional musician. Professional musicians get the concept that I'm talking about. Uh, Now, they don't use the word servant, they use the word professional. Be a professional. Now, many of you know that I am a musician. I uh, was in ministry early on uh, in my 20s, and then uh, when I got to 30, I I got out of the ministry because just, it was awful. And I was terrible at it. And it just wasn't working for me. We stayed involved in the church and we continued to serve doing whatever was asked of us to do. Um, But we just weren't in the ministry. We had our own business. And uh, the business I had was a music production company. We produced music for radio and television and stuff. And uh, uh, all kinds of programs and commercials and stuff used music that we produced. Our biggest claim to fame is uh, part of the soundtrack of the hit movie, The uh, Bucket List. Is music that uh, we produced, uh, written by Tom Waschak over in Appleton, brilliant musician, and uh, but they never give us credit on it in the credits. Tick me off, you know, Apparently, only if they hire you to write the music specifically do they give you credit, or if it's a record. The rest of us, ah, I wanted to see my name going, but I didn't see it. Anyway, good news is they paid us. Hallelujah. So. Uh, uh, so this is the kind of stuff that we did, and we did this, you know, for almost 20 years before I got back into ministry again, and we would travel to all kinds of recording studios and hired some of the most brilliant musicians in the world, uh, but the reason people hired them is because they were professional, uh, is what the term we would use for our analogy. They're great servants. They would do whatever you ask them to do. I would walk into these rooms of these guys, these people knew a thousand times more about music than I ever will in my wildest dreams. They are brilliant musicians. Most of the records that you hear, even really complicated orchestral music, all this other, do you realize a lot of those guys, that's the first time they ever played that song. They don't even rehearse. I remember when I first started doing it, we'd come into a session and I'd say to the music, okay, you guys want to go through the music? And they'd look at you like, no, man, just paint it, paint it red. That's what they tell you to record it. You hit the red button and they would play it and they're playing it brilliantly. And it's the first and last time they will ever play that song. Never heard it, never practiced it, never never heard the tracks ahead of it, never heard it hummed. They just read it perfectly, play it perfectly, done, next song. They are brilliant. And I could walk in and I could say anything and they would say, great whatever you want. You're the bo- I mean, total professionalism, what we would call as a servant. Just do, ask to do whatever we ask them to do. And they all had to know. They were a lot smarter than I was. <laughs> but it didn't matter. They were there to serve, as my analogy is. Again, they don't call it servant, they call it being professional. And they were brilliant. And a lot of the music that we asked them to play was really boring. You know, whole notes, half notes, a lot of it was mood music, like when you watch a movie and stuff like that, you're seeing a scary scene. The main reason it's scary isn't because of what you're seeing, it's because of what you're hearing. You know something bad's going to happen because the music's going... You just know something's going to jump out and grab somebody, right? Or those romantic scenes when they cow eye each other. It's not just what you're seeing, you're swept in it because the orchestra's going, la, 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 la. You know, and most of it's very simplistic. Most of the emotion that you experience in a film is not what you see, it's what you hear. It's very powerful. And these guys, and again, it's, it tends to be very simplistic music that these brilliant musicians play to perfection. If you ever, ever just listen to what they're playing, of course, if you're not much of a musician, maybe you won't catch it, but it's really simple, really simple music. They're out, and they do it with professionalism. They do it with joy. Uh, and uh, they have no problem. Our piano player, Chris Salerno, brilliant piano player. If you ever get a chance to hear her, it's quite stunning. Um, what we ask her to play every Sunday is pretty much brain-dead to her. And I mean that sincerely because I know I play sometimes along with her and it's very brain dead, even to me. Uh, Some 15 years ago, church music was very much driven by piano and keyboards. And we used to love the challenge and all the crazy chords and stuff. And it's great fun. Well, music changes and now it's all guitar driven. And most of the stuff, the guitar players are having a blast, but the keyboard players are like, uh, you know, it's like you gotta drink enough coffee to stay awake while we're playing this stuff. It's extreme. You love it, but it's extremely boring. Actually, most of the music that you hear when you go listen to almost any bunch of musicians is way below their capabilities. They do it because of what you want to hear. If you ever go to a concert and actually hear professional musicians do the kind of music that challenges them, you won't like it. Because it's real heady, kind of weird, strange stuff. And you're listening going, <laughs> what is this? And you clap when they're done and you get out of there because you couldn't stand it, okay? Okay. Uh, but they, they just do whatever you ask them to do. We can ask her to do anything, play anything, don't play, lead out, sit back, just sit there, don't play anything on the song. She just sits there with a smile. Why? Well, in the musician's world, we call it being professional. In our analogy, we're talking about being a servant, a true servant. You could ask a true servant to do anything. Sing, not sing. Sing this way. Don't sing this way. Serve this way. Don't serve this way. Stand over here. Don't stand over there. Do this with the children. Don't do that. Da, da, da. We could tell them anything. And a true servant, would just like, and we have many wonderful servants, but it always breaks my heart when we run into people who get really upset the minute you mess with their world because they haven't learned this concept. We need to serve. And again, as we look for, a lot of you, you need God to bless your life. I know you do. Some of you struggling in life. Your life is really having a hard time. You need God to show up. Turn things around. Some of you, financially, your life stinks. Some of you, your businesses are really struggling. You need God to bless your life. You want God to lift you up. If I ask you how many of you want God to lift you up, all of you on all our campuses would probably, yeah, I want God to lift up. But you have to understand, God just doesn't do that because you're cute. Though cute you may be. The Bible says if you will humble yourself, God will lift you up. You need God to lift you up. You need to find something in the church that's horribly offensive and boring to you and sign up. You think I'm kidding. I am not kidding. Oh, I don't want to do that. Well, then stay doing what you're doing. Look, like, I, I don't make up the rules. He does. I'm just not going to lie to you and tell you it's all okay when it's not okay. You want God to bless you. You've got to learn to bless other people. It's true financially. You want blessings? Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. What we do is say, Lord, help me win the lottery, and then I'll give. Come on, you sinners, I know you're out there. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me win it! I'll give a bunch of money to the church. I, God just laughs when you pray that stupid prayer. Because it doesn't work that way. works in your head, but not in his. That's why you don't win the lottery. If you do, by the way, I hope you do give a lot of money to the church. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you, the person most likely to do it is someone who has already learned how to give. I promise you. The one was like, God's going to bless you in an unusual way. It's because you're a giver. It's the way it works. The way up, Jesus is trying to tell you, is the way down. Humble yourself. Serve. Let someone else direct you. Tell you to do something. Ask you to do something. You don't really want to do, but you do it with joy. We'll be talking more about that as we go in. Because, uh, again, Jesus is going to use different analogies about Here he talks about servants, he's going to talk about sons, he's going to talk about employees, all these different things. In the kingdom of God, a real part of it is being around people who ask you to do things you don't really want to do. That's what a servant is. That's what Jesus did. He came to be a servant. He came to serve us. He didn't just come to serve God. All right, now, uh, going on. So I finally get off those three verses. Here we go. Verse 29, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Well, two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard what Jesus, that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Well, the crowd rebuked them and said, be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Well, Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for you? He asked, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Now, I want to break this story down for you just a little bit in our remaining moments. How you can experience God in your life is just what we read here. Number one, in verse 30, it says, Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. Now, 2,000 years ago, if you had a serious handicap like this, your life was in bad shape. They didn't have handicap parking. They didn't have handicap anything. This was uh, very difficult. And as hard as it is, even in today's culture, to be handicapped, but many people do it, uh, 2,000 years ago, it was awful. There was nothing. You were pretty much just, pretty much an outcast. These two guys were sitting there, desperate. They had each other to talk to. They were blind. No one was assisting them. They knew they had a great need. If you want to have God show up in your life. You need to know that you need God. Now, one of the good things about being a really bad person, if there is such a thing, is at least when you're a really bad person, you know you're a bad person. Uh, I know when I was 16 years old, though I was extremely young, I was a mess. I was very bad. I was in trouble at school. I was in trouble with the police. I was doing drugs, all kinds of stuff I shouldn't have been doing. The list is rather long. Very, very angry, Bitter young man, my life was a mess. When I first heard the story of Jesus and how much he loved me and was willing to forgive me of my sins, it got my attention. I knew I needed God. Now, one of the bad things about being a good person is you're a good person. And good people often don't think they need God at all. There's wonderful people who, uh, you know, I run into all the time. They come to church. A lot of people who watch us on television. In Wisconsin, I see them all the time. Wonderful people, really nice people. You know, they don't have their dog poop in their neighbor's yard, and they pay their taxes, and they give to the United Way, and they do all that kind of stuff. And you start talking about their need for God. One of the reasons you guys all sit at home on your bums watching this show and me rambling, and you don't go to church, quite frankly, you don't think you need to. You're pretty nice people. Well, it's great that you're a nice person, but trust me, you need To come to church. You need God in your life. You think you don't. You're in big trouble. But when we compare ourselves to other people. It's easy to feel good about ourselves. I had a preacher once. He gave this great analogy. He says if you take the nicest most giving person in the world. A St. Teresa type lady. And you put her on the highest pinnacle on earth. On top of Mount Everest. And then you take the worst scumbag. That society can conceive of. And put them in the lowest, lowest, deepest uh, crevice in the face of the earth. The lowest possible valley. And then spread everybody else out in between based on how good they are. Well, the person way down in the valley, he can't even begin to compare to the person on top of Mount Everest. The people on Mount Everest can feel very good of themselves. They're way above everyone else. But when it comes to God, it's all quite irrelevant. Because if you ask all those people, now that we have you spread out according to how nice you are, I want everyone to stand up and touch the stars. Well, it's all a moot point. It's irrelevant. The highest person on Mount Everest or the lowest person in the pits of the earth cannot touch the stars. Compared to that, it doesn't really matter how high or low you are. It's all irrelevant. It's like that before God. Oh, compared to other people, you're quite great and we appreciate that you're great but you need to understand before God you are in trouble we all need God your sins and we've all sinned just some of us are a lot better sinners than others or worse depending on your point of view Uh, but we've all sinned before God and without God you cannot touch God you need God in your life so the the first thing these guys had going for them is they knew they had a need Number two, it says, when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, had mercy on us. Number two, they were willing to humble themselves. It's a little embarrassing to have to start yelling and screaming out there and getting attention that most people don't want. And the only way, they couldn't see. They could have just knew that Jesus was going by, and they're yelling and screaming, Lord, help us. One of the main reasons that people, no matter how desperate their lives are, and again, a lot of you watching me on television right now, we love you, we appreciate you, but seriously out of the most compassionate heart I can give you, you need to get off your butt. You need to go to church. If you don't want to go to our church, go to somebody else's church. But you need to get out there and connect with people and find God in your life. And say, well, one of the reasons they don't want to do it is it's embarrassing. Walking into a new place with new people, you know, or sometimes, you know, your friends see you going to church and you don't want them to see you going to church. I mean, But if you're going to, number two, really experience God, you've got to be willing to humble yourself. And it just doesn't matter. Number three, it says that the crowd rebuked them, told them to be quiet. This is something you'll see very quickly is people will try to discourage you from calling out to God in your life. They'll fight you. They'll ridicule you. They'll give you a hard time. Uh, You know, they'll think, you're crazy. Why are you going there? Them people are crazy. It's all a big cult. You know, whatever the deal is that they've got, people will resist you trying to find the help that you need. But I love the next part. It says, but they shouted all the louder. they were determined. Number four, if you're going to experience God in your life, you're going to have to be determined, okay? It's not just going to happen automatically. As much as God loves you, he's not going to bless you again just because you're cute. You need to call out to get God's attention in your life. Uh, and the truth is, as you read through the New Testament, oftentimes Jesus would be going through crowds. The Uh, The Bible says multitudes. It's like I swallowed a fly. (coughs) Multiples, Multitudes. Not the pludes. Multitudes would follow him. And they would all be yelling and crying, Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. God, help us. uh, But the only people that ever really got his attention were people who came to him in faith. You have to understand that it is faith that gets God's attention. People who were determined to reach out to God no matter what anybody said, no matter who it associated them with, Whoever it separated them from, they were determined. These were the people that experienced miracles in their life throughout the entire Bible. It's not just driven by need. If it was just driven by need, God would show up everywhere. In fact, one of the great criticisms of God is how come there's so many people who suffer? If there's a God, why do people suffer? Well, the short answer is because we as human race told God to stick it and to bug off. Most people who say that don't want God in their lives. <laughs> but when something goes bad, where's God? Well, you told him to get out. Why is there so much suffering? We live in a fallen world, a world that, for all practical purposes, has told God to stick it and get out. This is why there's so much suffering in the world. Not because there's no God, and because he doesn't care. If it was just because of suffering that God got get God's attention, God would show up everywhere. But he doesn't. Why? It's not need. You have to understand, your life may really stink. You might be sitting in church right now, your life is really awful. Some of you have great, very sad stories you could tell. There's people listening to me on television right now, your life bites. You know it bites. Everything about your life stinks to high heaven. Okay, where is God? Well, he's not just going to show up because your life stinks. You need to get determined to touch God in your life. If you will do this, you will get God's attention. Has always worked that way. And you'll see that. The very next one is Jesus stops. He got his attention. And he comes to them and he asks them, What do you want for me to do? Now, Jesus knew what they needed. Okay? The Bible said he knew people's thoughts. Oftentimes Jesus would start answering a question when they would just start thinking the question before they said it. It would really freak people out. How would you know I was thinking that? Well, because he's God, Right? They would think a question, and he'd say, well, I know you're thinking this. Whoa, it stunned them. Jesus knew. Now, I could have shown up and would have figured out what these guys need. They're blind. They're sitting on the side of the road. Their life bites. Yet Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? He knew what they wanted. Just because he was God number two, if he wasn't God, he could still see. Everybody knew what they wanted. But why did he ask that question? And this is real important. Hope you all pay attention. All y'all, all all y'all out there, pay attention to me. You've got to verbalize what you need before God. It historically is called prayer. Now here's the problem. A lot of people today, because they're so self-conscious or you were just, who knows what your background is or whatever, your version of prayer is bowing your head and thinking or maybe you mumble or you whisper prayer or just think in your head Uh, you say well God knows what I yeah God knows what you need God knows what you're thinking God knows you're in a mess to start with He already knows all that He wants you to pray that means to literally open your mouth and say it well, that's kind of embarrassing. Well, no one's asking you to do it in front of anybody. In fact, that's why the Bible tells you to get alone to pray. So you can say, you need, I'm, I'm serious. You need to open your mouth and say it. So you can actually physically hear yourself say it. The Bible oftentimes, when it would record people's prayer, it would say things like they lifted up their voice. They lifted up their voice and they spoke. They would speak out their prayers. Jesus spoke out their prayers. We pray together the Lord's prayer and stuff like that. But your own personal prayers, at some point, you need to learn to get alone with God. and, And you have to spend an hour and a half there. Five minutes, three minutes, whatever it takes. Talk to God and tell him the stuff that you need. and Say, God, I need your help. There's something that happens when you physically say it. It's something about the laws of spiritual dynamics. When you physically will say what you need to God. It's called prayer. That's when God shows up. And I promise you, the number one reason people do not get answers to prayer is they do not pray. They cry. They whine. They bellyache. They moan. They close their head. They think it through. But they're not praying. You need prayer. To pray. You say, why? I don't know. I have no idea why. But there's something about prayer. And by the way, virtually every religion in the world gets this. If you listen to people, they, you can hear them praying. They pray. They, everybody, you need, there's something about it. You need to say it. I know a lot of you came from very conservative churches where everybody's real quiet because God was mad. Shh. <laughs> Don't let God know you're here. He's in a bad mood, okay? I don't know what they were thinking. But even in those churches, they still get you all pray together or recite the same prayer. You've got to say it. If you need something from God, you need to say it. It's part of the laws of spiritual dynamics. Just like the laws of physics. The laws of physics are what they are, even though you don't understand them. And you can't see them. You can kind of know, you know, if I walk off this thing, I'll fall, you know, because of gravity. But I, who knows why all this stuff works? I don't get it. I fly airplanes, Okay. I know that in my airplane, when I hit a certain speed, it will start to climb into the air and fly. Why? Well, I can give you the theories behind it, but I don't really know why. <laughs> I just know it does. And I'm very careful not to go slower than that speed. <laughs> because apparently, it will fall out of the sky if you go. And it, and it is what it is. Now, people get nervous when you're flying. some you get nervous when there's bumps in the skies. It means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It just means it's bumpy. That's all it means. Oh, well, we're going to follow this No, it won't. As long as they keep going, x miles, miles per hour, it will not come out of the sky. The only way if the wings break off, which are not going to break off, you know, because they went a few times, okay? You know, you don't understand the laws of physics. You think that has, it has nothing to do with flying, other than the fact it's just creepy, okay? Well, it's raining. It has nothing to do with it. You're still going to fly. Well, it's too windy. It doesn't matter. All the stuff that most people don't like about flying has nothing to do with flying at all. It's the laws of physics. If you go a certain speed, and if you ever read, we we'll always read about these planes that, on coming in, they crash and they just drop out and fell short. Do you know why? It's because they went too slow. Every pilot knows that. As soon as we say, "Well, we will have the uh, F, you know what? Not the FBI, the uh, FAA, some." F something I don't know. Anyway, so they, so, they, so the FAA will investigate to see what happened. We all, well, we know what happened. You go too slow, it will fall out. It doesn't matter how nice you are. Doesn't matter how much you wanted it to fly. Doesn't matter how much you wanted to see Granny that day. It does not matter. The laws of physics don't care. If you go too slow, it's going to fall. By the way, if you're ever flying in a small plane with a guy like me, don't talk to me when we're landing. Okay. That's what happens. These guys get distracted. They're talking and they're pushing buttons. And you slow down too much. It will fall out of the sky and you don't have time to climb out. It will be a bad thing. That's the good thing about flying high, by the way. Altitude is your friend. You can't. Actually, they teach us. They'll take us up high and then we start flying too slow to where it starts falling out of the sky. So you learn what it feels like. You got plenty of altitude to recover. Well, you can't do that. When you're close to the ground, you will schmuck into the ground, okay? It's the laws of physics. I got to do annual flight training. I got to go again in a few weeks. And they'll sit there and explain everything to us again and why the engine does this and the P2 tube goes here and the P3 air comes over here. And I don't know what they're talking about. It's not like I'm going to fix that stupid thing. If I have an engine problem, I'm calling a mechanic. I have no idea what's going on. But they drill all this into us and they give us a vague idea of what's going on. We have the basic concept, but the truth of the matter is why I know exactly how it'll work. I know what the laws of physics are. Why they are the way they are, I don't know. It just is. And it works. And if you follow the laws of physics in the air, it is as as dependable and determinable as if you're standing on the ground. There is no difference. It's the laws of physics. It will not fail. Unless structurally something happens, which is extremely rare. Usually somebody messes up and does something stupid, okay? Pilots make mistakes, they're human beings, okay? And it's that that way with the laws of spiritual physics, the laws of prayer. You want God to answer your prayers, you got to pray. You have to open your mouth to where you can actually hear the words coming out of your mouth, offering up to God. The Bible says God loves to hear the prayers of his people. Why? I don't know why. I just know if you'll do it, you will fly. Hallelujah. So Jesus said, what do you want me to do? So number seven, or number six, they just answered and said, Lord, we want our sight. They're just very honest. Be honest with God. Whatever, God can handle your situation. There's nothing you're going through that would freak God out. It's not like you're in a mess and God goes, ooh. Ooh. Never saw it before. You know? (laughs) And he knew it was coming too. (laughs) It's a, what? Miserable things happening to you? Is a shock to you? He saw it coming. Why didn't he stop it? I don't know. Who knows why? Sometimes our faith gets tested. But you need to learn to pray. Be honest with God. And then the Bible says Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight. But that's not the end of the story. The next three words, and followed him which our final point you need to follow through if you're going to experience god you have to know that you need god you have to be willing to humble yourself even though you will find discouraging circumstances in your life you need to be determined you need to say what you need from god you need to be honest with god and if you will be determined to follow through with god listen to me god is not interested in bargaining with you one of the dumbest things people do is when they're in trouble, they bargain with God. God, you help me out. I'll, I'll give up Kit Kats for a month. He doesn't care about your Kit Kats. <laughs> oh if you just help me out, I won't say poopy caca anymore, I promise. I won't say any more poopy caca. Really? God, oh wow, he's not going to say poopy caca. Let's change the world for that. It's not about you bargaining. God doesn't understand you bargaining. God's interested in you surrendering your life to him and following and serving him. If you will do these things, I promise you, you will begin to experience God in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us, Lord, to be the kind of people who take our faith seriously. Lord, help us to be honest about where we're at, to be honest with you, to be determined. Learn to pray and commit our way to you with a determined heart that we're going to serve you no matter what happens. Because when this comes together, that's when you show up and you do wonderful, glorious things in our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Have a great day.